Hello, I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art92 and the creator of the sci-fi wrestling comic, The Galaxy Grappling Alliance, and welcome to Oh Men To That, a chip-free sporadic podcast series where I talk to a selection of hand-picked guests on a diverse range of topics centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. Today's show is another creator spotlight and a personal highlight as I get to chat to one of my own artistic heroes. Not only is my guest a highly respected figure in the world of comics, but also a tutor, a mentor, commission artist, an all-round nice guy. Over the next hour or so, we will delve into a comics career spanning over 30 years, as well as talking about the ever-popular world of commissions and a very special upcoming Kickstarter campaign. So sharpen your pencils, sit back and relax as we discuss the art of John McRae. So today I'm excited to be joined by a true comic book legend and the first Eisner winner to appear on the podcast. (laughs) For over 30 years, John has been producing work for the likes of Marvel, DC, Rebellion, Image, drawing characters from my personal favourite, the hitman Tommy Monaghan, to the recent Dead Eyes. He's collaborated with writing legends such as Alan Grant, Jerry Duggan, and most famously Garth Ennis. But there's more. He's a lecturer in schools and colleges, as well as working the charitable organisations, producing comics, spotlighting social issues such as children's rights, drug abuse, homelessness. And if that wasn't enough, anyone who's ever had the pleasure of meeting John at a convention will agree. He's not only one of the nicest people in comics, he's also the undisputed king of commissions. It's my absolute thrill to say hello to one of my heroes, John McRae. Uh, thank you for having me on, Damien. No, you're uh, welcome. Pleasure. No, thank you, John, and thanks for giving up your time because, um, you know, I know you're busy and, and got your uh, your Kickstarter pre-launching, which we'll come on to a little bit later on. So sure. uh, genuinely appreciate you making some time tonight to, to speak to us. No, no problems. So I've talked a little bit about your career. And as I say, you're one of those creators, John, to be honest, that you, to me, you've always been around you know but you've always been part of the comics world for me you know and, and the first time i ever met you was in a little comic shop in rill where you did a oh right okay. you did a yeah. cracking yeah you did a hitman sketch on a, on a backing board for me that's and, Stuart um, stevenson's shop that's right yeah yeah sure. back in the, sure. that the 90s would it have been right yeah yeah, yeah. A great guy so uh, so you, you've always been a constant, but for people, and I, I doubt there is anyone, but for anybody that maybe isn't as familiar with your career, do you want to just give the listeners a bit of background as to how you got into comics? Uh, sure. Um, and and I'm sh- I wouldn't be so arrogant as to presume that, that there aren't people out there who have no idea who I am. I mean, it's there are just now so many people in comics. Uh, you know, I, I constantly see new names appearing on the comic scene and uh, I'm just baffled by the quality and quantity of people out there now. But, um, but yes, I started out um, as a, a fan, of course, uh, reading comics. I'm from Belfast originally and uh, picking up uh, mainly Marvel, the British reprints uh, yeah. and reading those, but, you know, moving on to the American stuff, but also reading a lot of the British comics pretty much any comic i could get my hands on and then um and i always drew 
I always drew. I mean, when my mum and dad bought me my first comic when I was four, I knew at that moment that that's what I was going to do with myself when I grew up. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, very much uh, sort of um, blinkers on and uh, consequences be damned kind of approach to it all um, and possibly caused a lot of, well, let me see, hair loss perhaps in my <laughs> folks <laughs> as they struggled to understand that uh, I wasn't going to be a out of out of work, no hoper. Uh, you know, growing up in the 70s in Belfast, the idea of working for American comics you know, did not compute. Yeah. Uh, so, so, and probably doesn't for a lot of people still today. Yeah. But true. anyway, uh, yeah. So, but back then, especially so. So anyway, I, I persevered with my drawing and eventually I opened a comic shop in Northern Ireland because there weren't any. And so I opened the comic shop and in fact my kickstarter has an article about my comic shop in it oh wow uh, talking about it in sort of quite a bit of depth um, um so and it's quite an interesting backstory because we opened our shop in the back of dark um of good vibrations which was the uh, uh punk record shop in northern ireland uh, run by terry hooley and he was the guy who discovered the undertones and right. rudy and um, and a bunch of other punk and, and put their first records out. So Terry was the punk guru of Northern Ireland and I used to buy my records off him. And that's how I got to know him. And then when time came to open my own shop, uh, Terry gave us the back room of his place because he was a generous soul, is a generous soul. And uh, I started my shop from there along with my mate, Fred Collier, who was my sort of partner in crime and that. And one of our customers was a guy called Garth Ennis. Um, and uh, we started working for Crisis, uh, drawing a comic called Troubled Souls about the troubles in Northern Ireland uh, after we had sort of chatted and realized we were fairly simpatico about and our, our outlook of, on, on things and life and humor and just uh, and media and things. So, yeah, yes, we yeah. put out a comic called Troubled Souls for Fleetway in crisis, and uh, it was a reasonable success. And since then, I've never really not been busy. Uh, I mean, like any freelancer, I suppose I've had a few ups and downs. Uh, you always do get the sort of dips as the highs as well as the lows mm. and uh you know i've had a few lows in my career um but i've always been busy i just maybe not been as busy on the things that i may have wanted to be busy on yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean you yeah. take one at certain points you just have to take jobs and uh and just grin and bear it and uh, i've had to do that on a number of occasions um but yeah i've managed to work for a lot of the big comics that I've always wanted to work for, Spider-Man and the Hulk and Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. And I've drawn the Simpsons and Scooby-Doo and Star Wars and yeah. as well as doing my own creator own stuff. And, uh, you know, so it's been a pretty decent career. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I've just been mainly focusing on creator owned work recently, doing Mythic for Image with Phil Hester. Um, and then moving on to Dead Eyes with Jerry Duggan yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah, so that, that's that's my career in a nutshell, I guess. Wow, it's interesting because I was, I was going to obviously ask you about um, 
your relationship with Garth Ennis because you know when you look through the catalogue of your work there's, there's there's quite a lot of um collaboration with him and sure you know as well as other people and I just wondered how you how you got together that's really interesting to know that you used to come into your comic shop it's, it's sure sure yeah. I mean this is the thing that's how it works really mm. uh, you know people sort of go gosh, you must, it must have been this or that or other, but, uh, you know, it might have been luck or what have you. And I rarely think that anybody's career is luck. It's usually based on sort of hard work and making opportunities for themselves. And yeah. I guess if I hadn't opened the comic shop in Belfast, who knows what would have happened? I mean, I, I, would, have, I would have become a comic artist. I mean, I, hadn't, I have no doubt about that uh, because even before meeting Garth, I already had... I had a Future Shock published and a couple of uh, uh, G.I. Joe stories, which were uh, for a comic called Action Force. It was the British mm. version of G.I. Joe for British yeah, yeah. people. So I'd already started on the on the ladder and, the, and uh, on the first couple of rungs. And then Garth and I, you know, that's why people would come into my shop and they would know that I was starting to get work in comics. And if they were right, want to be writers, they would always say, I've got a sto- an idea for a story. And I would just go, yeah, OK. Then, you know, they would tell <laughs> me the idea for a story and that would be that. But uh, Garth kind of had a little bit more than just an idea for a story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he, it turns out he's quite a good writer. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, whatever happened to him, eh? You know I mean? No, not a clue. <laughs> not a clue. Actually, there's a that that, that very same article actually reveals the the sorry truth about what whatever did happen to Garth. So if you read it, you'll find out. Oh, I can't, I can't <laughs> wait. I mean, of course, as well for me personally, you were part of this golden triangle of creators with with the collaboration between um, yourself and Garth and Garth and Steve Dillon, who I know you were you were very close friends with. Yeah. And uh, I mean, how did you meet Steve? Do you mind me asking? Uh, no, not at all. Um, Steve was living in Dublin uh, at the time when we had sort of broken into comics, Garth and I. And I suppose Steve uh, was publishing Deadline magazine. You know, him and Brett yeah. Hughes were publishing Deadline magazine. Um, I think it, it, it had started. I'm trying to you know remember my timeline here. And as far as I'm aware... Steve had started up Deadline. I didn't know him at that time, but I pitched a few th- a, a thing to Deadline uh, called Carl Allison, a story about uh, well, her, her eponymous hero, heroine uh, Carl Allison, and um, she and her, the sort of crazy shit she gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deadline published it. Brett really liked it. Uh, bless him. And uh, and through that, Steve kind of pulled back from Deadline after a while and was had moved over to Dublin. Um, and I was starting to get work with Deadline. And so I suppose Steve knew of us. And mm. I think we that's what it was. We got invited down to Dublin to appear at a show. And Steve was at the show. And so we got to know Steve. It was at Trincon, it was called, at, at Trinity College. And right. um, so, and I believe that might have been the first time we met Steve. Maybe we had knew him vaguely before then, but then we got to hang around with him properly. 
And then when the deadline deadline did a deadline tour and I joined them on the tour for a wee bit. Um, and by that point, I was pretty getting pretty pally with Steve. Yeah. And uh, I would Garth and I would regularly trundle down on the get the, the train down to Dublin and head out to Rahini where Steve lived and see him hang out. Go to the go to the uh, the Dolphin, where which he drank at. That was his pub. Yeah. And in fact, one time I went down to Dublin on my own uh, just to see Steve. I can't remember why Garth wasn't along, but uh, I didn't tell him I was coming. And I just got off the train and jumped on the dart and headed out to Rahini. And I got off the the dart and walked to the Dolphin, walked in. Walked up the stairs, walked across the floor to the far corner because that was their spot. Steve yeah, yeah. and his wife, um, uh, Marie. And that was where they sat. And sure, there they were. And I just tapped them <laughs> on the shoulder and they turned around and went, what? What are you doing here? <laughs> it's just like, somebody wanted to assassinate you guys. <laughs> it wouldn't be too hard. You, you have a pretty familiar route. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I got to know Steve very well and uh, yeah. would hang around with him. Uh, all the time and he's a you know just a lovely generous bloke and uh, and a fantastic artist obviously yeah. I was a big fan of his and of course the terrifying thing about Steve was because he started so early in the industry so young because he was I, I remember his first work was in Hulk Weekly um the Dead Skin published Hulk yeah. comic that came yeah. out around the time of the TV show and Steve did a the Hulk story, and then he was drawing Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in it, and uh, and I remember being what was I, about 11 at the time, and going to my corner shop, the Wingrove, and picking up a copy of that, and Steve's work was in there, and I could I could have only imagined that he was probably in his 20s or something like that, but sure, he was 15, for Frig's sake. It's outrageous. <laughs> You've told this before, and I've told other people, and they've gone don't talk yeah. shit. And I'm like, I'm telling you, sure. John tells me he was about 15 or 16 when he was doing that stuff. Well, he was 15 when he, the very first story, but I think he quickly turned 16. But, you know, he's not the, he's not the worst. I mean, Sean Phillips, I think, might have been slightly younger than Steve when he <laughs> first started being professional. Because Sean is, I think, a year older than me, but right. he's been in the industry for 40 years. I've been oh, in the industry for 32 and he's been in the industry for Holy 40 man. years. And that's just appalling. I mean, he must've been about one or something. <laughs> it's that, just terrible. Well, you the know? thing is though, you're all still, you know, obviously with the exception, sadly, of Steve, but still a legend. But the fact that you're still at the top of your game after all these years as well, it's testament to how well, good you guys were, you know. Well, I mean, that's the, the good thing about art is that if you're determined, you can, you know, it's not like a sport or something like that where, you know, you have this sort of window of opportunity yes. with art as long as you're, you don't get arthritis or, you know, mm. something like that. Um, you you can you can continually improve, I suppose. And I guess that's the the, the thing about it is, is just to never be happy. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. Which is a, it's, which is depressing. <laughs> but it's interesting that when you talk about things like crisis and deadline, and you think, sure, you know, there's such a gap in in the 
comics market today i think personally for those kinds of publications you know because that was real rock and roll stuff at the time wasn't it when you it, talk about going on tour with the deadline oh tour my and, god you know you like a band was rock and roll stuff it was pretty outrageous stuff and, and some, I, some of I think that's that, i don't know whether you agree but i always think because i'm not that much um younger than yourself to be fair so i always look back at those times and think you know it was like a different world where comics it was it it seemed more fun back then well you know? you know i i i concur completely um just going to conventions back then was a laugh riot um mm. and conventions now have become monetized because yeah. of course when they first started when frank plywright was first doing the cons ucac and whatnot frank and Haas were doing those i remember when the Americans would come over and they would charge for sketches and all the Brits would be sitting around going, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Have another pint of Guinness, glag, glag, glag. And, uh, and it was more fun because the, uh, the honest truth is you didn't have the internet. And that is why it was more fun because as soon as the internet came along and you had eBay, people started flogging sketches. So, immediately you had to monetize yourself so that you weren't an idiot um and as soon as you do that as soon as you monetize then there's a pressure to do something decent because you're Mm -hmm. charging and then of course because people are charging everybody sort of is in competition you know somebody looks through a sketchbook and they go i mean we are always in competition with each other to a degree but but you know and always there always is that sort of like, oh my God, look how well he's drawing up game, up game. But <laughs> it, when it's, when it's a convention and you're just having fun and a laugh, you would scribble something out without any worry. <laughs> now, if you do a shit sketch mm-hmm. and somebody puts it online, well, there it is online yeah. for yeah. everyone to see. And so you, you're not allowed to make mistakes now, though, of course, you know, uh, the comics industry is full of those right at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but uh, well, let's not talk about that. But anyway, um, <laughs> why did I say that? Uh, so, so yeah, it's 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 one of those things where the internet and that visibility, yeah, uh, has made it so that conventions are not what they were, and they were like a just like a wild party. And uh, back then, I suppose. And we all seem to have a laugh and whatnot. I mean, it was a bit of a boys' club. Obviously, things are different now as well. Yeah, yeah. Front, um, but still, I, it was great fun, and uh, I had some fantastic times. And I still do enjoy conventions. Yeah. I love going to cons, but it is a different beast. It is. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even I mean, because I I used to attend um, cons when I was younger and. Um, mm. They were very different to what they are today. You know, firstly, sure. um, you know, you get daylight in some of them and they're not always in cellars, which is quite quite interesting, you know, from <laughs> what I can remember as a kid. I was talking about this on another show where we've talked about conventions and I was saying that my one abiding memory of, of the first load of cons I went to was that they were always underneath something. You know, right. they were always in the basement of a, of a hotel or they were always, you know, and I know that's still the case a lot of the time, but um, they weren't what they are now. And the other yeah. thing as well, I think, comics itself maybe has become a little bit too serious you know i mean comics were you know they're a serious business and stuff and we enjoy them for what they are but i don't think they ever really took themselves 
that seriously came yeah 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 i do agree with you damien yeah i know what you're saying and i think there's reasons for that again is Mm. the 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 sort of competition and that's not the competition between comics but the competition that comics have with all the other media we have now and so when you're at a show or just you know just in general you're competing with all the other stuff at the show and yeah. in reality you're competing with all the other stuff you're competing with the video games competing with the tv shows you're competing with the you know the guy who used to play catwoman in like the old batman show or what have you yeah. wasn't it played catwoman was it anyway um but uh yeah so you there's that element of competition again uh, i guess and that does do that two things you know where you feel the pressure to be as good as you can um um, and 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 so it just (laughs) it removes a little bit of the joy from it i suppose Mm -hmm. because you're having to focus constantly it's like a job good grief (laughs) <laughs> and and you're right as well though you the other thing as well john you're quite right is that you're potentially you're always on camera oh gosh you know, yes with the yes, modern there's no, world so oh yeah yeah i mean you, know, you when can't we were tell doing... someone to, to go fuck off fuck yeah, themselves yeah, yeah. if they don't like yeah. something because before you know it mate you'll be you know you'll yeah. be all over the internet won't you'll be you shamed all over the internet absolutely uh yes exactly you can't be sitting on a panel getting pissed and talking absolute bollocks because it'll be all over the internet with before you know it. Yes, exactly. As we used to. <laughs> so yeah, now, I was, when I was a kid, I saw people, you know, really having a go in the, in the, in the artisan, right? Having to go back and thinking, wouldn't get away with it now, even yeah. though you've been quite within your right to do it, you know, but, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? But things change. You know, it, uh, yes, no, that, 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 that's the one constant, isn't it? Change. Yeah. So it's um, so yes, we, we you've just got to ex- accept it and and roll with it and just accept that you're just going to have to deal with the new normal as it is. And um, and that's that it's it's a grown up business now uh, to, to a large degree um, and be the best you can be within those parameters. So. Yeah. So out of the um, just going back to your your back catalogue then, John, which is quite extensive. Do you ever have a favourite title or a favourite character that you've you've worked on? I mean, mine, like unashamedly, is is Hitman. Everything about it, I love the humour, your pencils, everything about it <laughs> worked. You. It was it was one of those rare books, though, wasn't it? Where I think and Preach is another one I think that's like that, where everything about it worked. I think I think with Hitman, it was kind of an odd little book in that it was in set firmly in the dcu as well but it was this it was odd sitting there because it was outrageous and did stuff that was shouldn't that the dcu didn't really want it to do yeah and and they sort of regret letting it do <laughs> to an extent and i don't think it's a book that would ever happen now uh, mm. For whatever reasons, things are a bit, like you said, too growing up, too professional. So the fact that this book came along and could get away with what it did get away with and have as much fun as it did within the, the DCU. I mean, the DC, you know, comics are, a lot of them are a bit too serious now, I think, a lot of times. Mm. And um, and and certainly that the, the Hitman 
while it was and had some very, very poignant and serious stories going on, yep. it yep. always threw humor into the mix as well, quite heavily. Um, yep. So, yes, I mean, Hitman was a great book to work on. And honestly, I suppose from a, a favorite point of view, it would be the thing that I'm most proud of because right. obviously it was 60 issues. I mean, that's and that's a lot of books. For me, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to draw another 60 issue run on a book it just doesn't strike me as something i'm going to be able to do i'm older and i'm kind of creaky and i just it's just drawing a monthly book for six for five years (laughs) is the very thought of it makes my head spin (laughs) now i uh i think it was a lot of um a lot of drink got me through that. It's a hell of a body of work when you look I, at it. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't have I didn't have kids, of course, at the mm-hmm. time. Not mm-hmm. your kids, and that's just another job as well. So it's 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 it was a book that of, of its time for me and of its time in the, within the industry, as everything I suppose is. But I think it was um, I'm quite proud of it from that po- those points of view. Um, as to whether or not it's my favourite thing. Uh, I think from a purely artistic standpoint, I would imagine or think that probably the most recent thing I've done is probably my favorite. You know, if if I look at the quality of drawing and something like Dead Eyes, I feel that it's pretty, pretty solid and 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 ticks a lot of boxes for, for as far as I'm concerned on, you know, satisfaction with the job well done. Um I mean, it's not perfect, <laughs> and I never look at any of my work and go, "Oh, that's perfect." Uh, in fact, most of the time, I'm fairly yeah. filled, filled with self-loathing. But we have this uh, conversation but, nearly every, every time I talk to another artist. We have the same conversation where we, yeah. we kind of both say one of the things about being a creative, anything I think, is that mm. you probably, you know, you give it your all, and then as soon as it's finished, nine times out of ten, you'll hate it immediately. But we go, I don't like well, anything about it. <laughs> yeah, because you look at it and immediately see all the things you could yeah. have done. You know, it's um, it's one of those things where I always find it odd when artists put their own work up on the wall mm-hmm. because uh, or, you know, uh, because when you look at your own stuff, all you can, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, all I can see is the flaws. And why do I want to sit and stare at a whole bunch of flaws and get annoyed? I mean, that happens enough without <laughs> having to see it all up on the wall in a frame. So, um yeah, yeah. Whereas when I look at other people's stuff, I just see the brilliant technique and the great artistic work, you know, if it's a person I admire, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah I, I guess my most recent work is the stuff that I, I, I'm happiest with uh, from a purely um, artistic point of view. But And I guess maybe my, working on Spider-Man might be the thing I'm most happy with as from a, a fan point of view, because, of course, Spider-Man is my favorite superhero and yeah. since i was a kid all i ever wanted to do was draw spider-man comics and getting to draw them and even if it was only three or four or five or whatever i've done um was just the thrill of a lifetime uh yeah. so so yeah i mean there's different sort of variants but yeah it's a, those those would be my things hitman for the sort of job satisfaction yeah, spider yeah. for the fanish and the most recent thing for you know <laughs> just quality of artwork i, I think yeah well it's interesting because um last time we saw you was at thought bubble uh we picked up a page from you it was one of your your, your yondu pages oh, and sure. the artwork on that mate is just 
unbelievable. You know, oh, thank you. No, yeah. it's true, and I'm not. You know, I'm going to sound like a right geek here, but honestly, I mean, I, I've got several of your pages because you, you know, I mean, obviously, as you know, H and I refer to you as the unscrupulous uh, John McRae because you always seem to <laughs> sell us things whenever we meet take you. Take all your money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, what a bastard. <laughs> I, I, was looking, I was looking through the um, the pages last week, actually. I keep them all in a portfolio and I was, I've got more of your work than anyone else's and that that Yondu page was just just absolutely phenomenal. That yes, that was, a, that was a fun book to do. Um, mm. Again, that, that was... That was like somebody compared it to what if Marvel did a 2000 AD comic. And yeah, I could see that. Yondu's a bit like that has got that anarchic 2000 AD vibe. It's the seedy underbelly of the Marvel Universe. It's it's very sci-fi. So yeah, I could see I can see that and I can see why they chose me to draw it, because of course <laughs> my stuff does lean more towards the slightly humorous, slightly anarchic and um slightly seedy <laughs> it's it, I, I don't know why that happened as far as my art style goes um possibly just because of teaming up with garth and ending up drawing a lot of stories with <laughs> uh, sort of reprobates in them i suppose but um yeah <laughs> no the the, the, slight, the dodgy folks are much more interesting the villains are or the uh, slightly grayer sort of characters are much more interesting than just Mr. Pure. Which this is the thing about some a character like Superman. I've never been able to draw Superman. I've I've always found him tremendously hard to draw because he is just so boring. You know, he's so goody goody, and I just there's nothing for me to get my teeth into there. I can't. It's just Mr. Pure. So it, I. I I find I struggle with a character like Superman. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say that. But I was I was obviously flicking through um, issue thirty four, which I mentioned before that you won the Eisner with with Garth on. And I never mentioned that. No, of course not. No, no, no. you should. Um, and and obviously <laughs> Superman comes in the issue, and I think you do a tremendous Superman. I mean, I've got to say, I was going to say to you before you you sort of went on to say that you know you don't think you can draw him. I was going to say, what a great. Uh, what a great gig he did drawing Superman, which must be difficult for you because he isn't the typical kind of character you get your teeth into. But, no, I mean, no. if you've never read that book, it is a very, it's a really emotional story, isn't it? And and Superman sure. is kind of like racked with, with doubt and guilt. Mm. And you capture that brilliantly, mate. You really do. And, well, you know, I you. think as much as the writing's great, the visuals pull it off. I mean, I, was I, I don't know if I agree well, with you entirely there, Damien, but know, uh, right? the, 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 again, that story is, is a special story for me in and up for a number of reasons in that one that we won the Eisner and also two that we dedicated to Archie Goodwin, who was a, just a fabulous fella and uh, all, uh, all around good chap and excellent editor at DC and a friend, a good friend of Garth and mine. And when Archie died, it was quite, well, I mean, the whole industry was traumatized by it, but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, the, the, the book has, has got that, but uh, I do, I, I mean, and what was dedicated to Archie and I do wish I had drawn Superman a little bit better than I feel that I did. And I'm not to say that I did a disastrous job. I just, 
feel, you know, and it's like, yeah, artist, they look back at their stuff and they go, oh, I should have done better, should have yeah. done better. And I wish I sort of had on that one. And I, I suppose the JLA Hitman book that Garth and I did later after Hitman ended, we did that mm. two parter. Um, that was my chance to try and draw a better Superman. And I, God knows I worked so hard at drawing <laughs> Superman to get him looking the way I imagine Superman should look if drawn by me in a perfect world. Um, mm. And I spent literally months practicing him before starting that book. I mean, you know, I'm not joking. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd gone through a bit of a crisis of confidence anyway. Um, work had sort of dried up for me in the mainstream. And uh, and then I saw this book as my way back into the mainstream. Um, and uh, I, I struggled. There was, you know, that thing where you're down and then you try too hard. <laughs> and uh, mm, and mm. Uh, so it took me quite a few months to sort of get wrap my head around it and build myself up to get that book the way I wanted to. And I, I feel it's a pretty decent book at the end of it and good epilogue to sort of Hitman. And yeah, and then I drew Superman OK. Yeah. <laughs> And Which, there was no offence to, to Garth's writing. I didn't mean anything with that. What I meant was that sure. I just felt Don't that in the that. hands of another artist, they would have possibly gone back to drawing that kind of, you know, stiff upper lip Superman. And you didn't do that. Um, yeah. You, well, they, well he really... wasn't at that point, was he? He was no. he was suffering, like you said, and yeah. th- there was a lot of doubt. Superman, a lot of the time, is the, one of the things that so is his steely will, isn't it? His mm-hmm. His knowledge that he's, right and pure and good and all that and the the decision he's making is the right one but probably the better superman story is the ones where that has that he hasn't got that yes everything's a bit more nebulous for him and it forces him to sort of look at things in a different way and it forces the reader to look at things in a different way so you know maybe that story that's why that story is so, I mean, certainly the uh, the Man of Tomorrow, that Alan Moore, Dave Gibbo story, you have that whole bit on Krypton where Superman is struggling with what Krypton was, at least it, is it a dream, is it a reality yeah. uh, sequence and that. And so you have that and Superman's self-doubt in that. So, and I, I thought that was a terrific bit in that yeah. story. Well. Christ, it's a terrific story altogether. <laughs> and it's always one of those things where sometimes people say, <laughs> you know, that that Superman story that Garth and I did in Hitman was is the best Superman story ever written or done or what have you. And, mm. and I just sort of go, mm, <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> you know, we're up against some pretty bloody stiff competition. It's with, definitely uh, up there, Mum. It's definitely well, up there. Yeah. Thank you. So... <laughs> Uh, so just moving on to probably the last few years then, where if anyone's ever seen John at a convention, uh, you'll notice one thing about him, which is that he never stops drawing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the last sort of six, seven times I've seen you, you've, you've just never stopped drawing all the time you're there unless you're on a panel or something. And sure. um, I mean, I've dubbed you um, quite, not jokingly, but quite seriously as the king of commissions because I've never seen anyone knock out commissions to the quality that you're doing constantly both pre-commissions and and at the event as well i mean they're absolutely phenomenal um and as we record this you've just done a couple where you know you did that that wonderful um darth maul um piece that you did that was the the use of line on that for the direction so it was just it was breathtaking i mean seriously it was it was wonderful and and Um, you've just and then you've followed it up with that was it the hitman and uh the demon 
commission sure. that you did. Yeah. Again, you know, you, you seem to be, your style seems to be changing slightly in the way that you're, you're, you're working them. Is that intentional or is it just something that you're trying or did you feel it was right for those, those pieces? Uh, I, if you look at Yondu, the, the work on Yondu, it's not that far off of mm. that sort of approach. I, I, I jump around, honestly, Damien, depending on what I feel is right for the job. I mean, if you look yeah. at the, if you look at the, um, at Darth Maul piece, it's, it's much more sort of uh, linear, you know, the, the lines are those sort of thicker, broader strokes, as opposed to that more scribbly stuff. And I mm. felt that was right for that piece. And but I'm enjoying this scribbly looser, looser style in the commissions with the ink wash over the top of it mm. at the moment. Um, and I'm going with that. Um, but I probably at some point I'll get a bit fed up or think I'm starting to get a bit stale and try to move on to something else or work a different way. Um, I, I did a bunch of little watercolor commissions for a bit. Yeah. yeah, for a while back. Um, and it, it's just what keeps me motivated, you know. I mean, obviously, mm. people sort of going, you're great and here's a big pile of cash is quite a good <laughs> motivator as well, <laughs> um, to be honest. But, um, uh, you know, and, and a lovely thing to to and then that's great and everything. But also, you know, you've got to I've, I've got to mix things up and shake it up to keep myself interested artistically or else it just it gets boring and I mean that's always been the way in my career I can never understand how anybody can be consistent the way you know somebody like say John Byrne or mm. you know or George Perez or yeah. even somebody like Charlie Adlard to a degree has you know their style has remained fairly much that style all the way through their career and I mean it's incredibly impressive because it also builds a brand and yeah. it's good for your brand to be that consistent because people will look at it and go well that's obviously you know john byrne slash george perez charlie adlard or whomever mm. you know that's that's obviously them whereas when you mix it up and sort of fart around like i do uh, then it can become a bit you know you, you go that's did, who, the, who the hell drew that and um and so maybe that's not such a good thing as far as brand building goes in this sort of world where you've got to be a brand and you've got to be professional. And again, that's that going back to why conventions aren't quite as much fun as you were saying. <laughs> the, the last times you saw me, I was just sitting working the entire time. And of course, I was making a you know, good sum of money or what have you at the show. Uh, but at the same time, it was hard, bloody work. Mm. I, I, sketching for people at shows is extremely tiring and exhausting mentally and physically yeah um because you've got to be on point all the time artistically but also you've got to be sort of upbeat and you know if you're feeling a bit we weary you mm. can't show it you've got to be upbeat for people you've got to be you know, hey, hi, how's it going? Shake your hand and, you know, enjoying the show and do the spiel and the patter and things. And uh, it's, it's, it can be quite, quite a wearing thing. So, yeah. yeah, but, but the fact that you think that I'm doing good commissions is fantastic. And, um, 
And well, you know, again, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put any weights on my opinion, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you but know. they are. I mean, you, well, you, you know, honestly, Damien, you're, I mean, I wouldn't put any weight in my own opinion. <laughs> that's that's uh, certainly as far as what comes to my work. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, that can be a pretty bad judge of my own stuff. Um, it's always wise to hear what other people say about it and, and listen. Um I love the fact you mix the styles up, though, John, and, and you you go on from one style to another. I mean, you had that run where you were doing them on on kind of coloured paper, and sure. you know, and they'd be kind of like you know, primarily black and white with a little bit of grey, whatever. And, and you know, I've got a dread that you did on um, on some yellow paper like that, and it's absolutely gorgeous, you know. And then you moved on from that into this this like you said the watercolour phase, and then you moved on into this. And I love seeing, I love seeing you progress through different styles, you know. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I, me and H will go, Tony, look what he's doing now. But I love seeing people do different things. I just think it's sure. it's refreshing, you know, because yeah. sometimes you, it's great to see good artists, but it can get a little bit samey. And, and I like to see people try different things. And, and sure. you, you seem to do that on a regular basis. It's amazing. Well, like you said, it's, it's the, like I said, it's just the sort of, just getting fed up with working in a, particular way um i mean if i drew commissions as well as say like someone like uh, your man daniel warren johnson um i'd probably just sit and do them like the same (laughs) every time because every time he does a commission you know i look at my work and go oh my god i i was just on twitter just before coming on the phone and he had just posted a godzilla commission he had done right and you know, you just look at it and go, "Fuck, <laughs> I've got to." I get, and that's the thing. I mean, of course, it's incredibly depressing, but at the same time, you've got to make it motivating when you see somebody who you feel is, you know, another hop, skip, and a jump ahead of you in quality, or and uh, and again, that's this thing, isn't it, where there's so many good people about and there and you are i guess if i'm doing a commission i i feel that if i don't do as good a bloody commission as i possibly can mm. well then what's to stop them going off to daniel warren johnson and getting a commission because he's tremendous and or matthew scalera or or you know but interestingly these... though i'm sure if you spoke to those people they'd be talking about you the same way because that's that again is the curse of the artist in it where you will always look at someone else's work and go oh that's better than mine and actually other people will be looking at your work going i wish i could do that so well you know let's let's be fair john i think you're doing yourself a disservice there mate well, I, I, find, I would i would find it hard to imagine either of those two guys having that <laughs> internal monologue quite frankly i'm gonna cut this bit out you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, you know yeah and the other thing i just want people to know as well that even though john is constantly working at at conventions um he isn't one of those people that you can't approach and doesn't speak to you you i don't know how you do it but you've always got time to stop and talk to people and and have time for people and you know in my case usually sell me something um (laughs) You know, while still maybe, doing, that, maybe that's why I've got time for people, hey? <laughs> <laughs> because it's I'm a it's the, I'm a manipulative it? bastard. Oh, you're unscrupulous, <laughs> but it's, yes, it's tremendous it though. But 
you know, you're still working and you're still turning the commissions out at the same time. And that's interesting, actually, because one of the things I was going to ask you is, do you have any advice for, for people that, like myself and like other other kind of independent creators who, you know, sometimes even we get asked to draw at conventions and you, you think, <laughs> this is great, I'm going to do this. And as soon as they ask you, your ass falls out because you just lose all the ability to draw, you know. So have you got any tips? I've, And I have been there completely <laughs> and utterly. I have. And, you know, I, I rub out pencils and I throw away the piece of paper I was working on. On, and on many occasions, um, I did a Judge Dredd werewolf commission recently, and it took me three attempts to get to the point where it was going to be a decent commission for, for a guy. Um, but to a degree, you can't take that long at a show mm-hmm. because, of course, you've got a list of people and sometimes they're standing in front of you and uh, whatnot. So you just have to get on with it. But I, I think the thing is, is... I always try to visualize the thing as clearly in my head as possible before right. committing even the pe- pencil to the paper. I mean, it's not always <laughs> possible because sometimes you're just sitting there with a blank slate where your brain <laughs> should be or your imagination should be. And you just sometimes you just have to start pushing the pencil around the paper and hope that something appears that will you know, resemble Judge Dredd or Spider-Ham or whoever. Um, but it's I think it's one of those things where you just it's it's just practice. It's it's yeah. like yeah. like it's like a learn it's a learnt thing, like like public speaking. You know, some people are bad at it, but if you get up and speak in public enough times, you can become reasonably good at it. I mean, I was I was a terrible shy kid up until I my until in my early 20s I wouldn't say boo to a goose and um it was and it was just through almost necessity of getting on being on stage and talking in front of people that I learned how to sort of not be worried about being up on stage in front of people and chatting and talking I mean obviously it was also to do with a certain amount of confidence in what I was saying and the fact that people were there possibly to hear what i had to say and yeah and look at what i was sort of demonstrating uh and that gives you a certain amount of confidence but and that's the same with shows and conventions and sketching is that when you first start out it's you maybe think well they'd rather be over with alan davis but they can't afford (laughs) so they're with me um and that's uh, (laughs) but after a while you know after a while you're like well okay they they do actually like my stuff and they are coming to see me and get a convention sketch off me and uh and i'm not maybe second best so you know and that builds your confidence and just yeah. and just the repetition of doing it and honestly you know if somebody asked me for a judge dread sketch i could just put a blindfold on and push the pa- pencil around the page mm-hmm. and i'm sure it wouldn't be too bad because old Dreadhead is is a fairly sort of kind of locked in there now it's muscle memory isn't it a lot of it's muscle memory through Mm. repetition it's just an instinctual thing and so a lot of that a lot of convention sketching and I mean when you're sketching at a convention as well you do sort of rely on certain tropes you know to get you through 
as well. Yeah. You don't start getting too experimental <laughs> at that at shows. Mm. Like, you know, when I'm at home, I can afford to take my time. And usually I, I charge more at, at home because I'm going to do a better drawing. Uh, but at a show, there's a limited window of time. Um, and so you rely on a sort of set stock images, dread. Well, it's my, for me, if it's a headshot of dread, it's this sort of three quarter sort of semi upshot. I do a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I could almost just get a stamp. <laughs> just stamp it out. Um, I don't think people would appreciate that, but, you know, I'm sure Dave Gibbons could do that with the Rorschach sketch. Oh, that yeah. Like, slam. There you go. It's, uh, it, in fact, he'd probably sketch it quicker than inking up the stamp <laughs> quicker than, than actually doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where shows are a different beast than. Yeah. Then so, so you 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 have to you have to have a kind of ways to deal with that and and make it work as efficiently as you can, not just for you but for the people who are getting the sketch off you because you know you don't want to sell them a turkey, um, mm. and, uh, unless they've asked for a turkey. Well, I was going to say, and that that leads me on interesting. <laughs> what what's the strangest commission you've ever had? Oh yeah, that's not a hard one to answer. To tell you the honest God truth, Damien, uh, that one's easy. It's a long time ago, though, back when I would have accepted a commission like this because obviously it was just I was young and dumb. But um, it was in Germany at a show at a comic signing in a shop, and a woman came up to me and said, "Would you draw? Would you draw a lady on a bike, and she's got a dog in the lead, and the dog is having a shit?" What? And, and I was like, I sort of looked at her for, you know, that pause as you split what has been said to you. And then I just was like, took a swig of beer and just went, yeah, okay. <laughs> and drew it. Um, I, you know, that I think that might wow. be the weirdest one I've ever drawn. Uh, these days, if somebody asked me to that, I'd just go, no. <laughs> it's just not really no yeah wow. uh, because because just you know it's more of a like just what you see on the table you know i'll draw yeah. you yondu or, or judge red or <laughs> spider-man but uh yeah not the not the dog having a shit in the gutter so that would have stood uh, terror into my heart straight away because i'd be thinking i hate drawing bikes <laughs> well, yeah well they are the worst thing <laughs> you know to draw. i mean, I mean bicycles like... are hell you yeah. asked me for a horse. <laughs> it's like sure, it's equal. Sure. Horrifying. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on bikes, but I've spent a lot of time practicing horses, and I, and I know I quite enjoy drawing horses. It's one of those things. It's like uh, I remember Sean Murphy did, said something about like if you're bad at something, learn yeah. it inside out. And you know, with him, he wanted to know how to be able to draw cars, and so he just learned about cars. And, you know, under, understood them and how they work. And, and then once you do that, then you can, you're, you're able to draw something much more convincingly. It's that idea of just sort of like, if you want to be able to draw bicycles, just really understand them because, you know, the bikes don't look the same as when, as they used to. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you, if you were to say, draw somebody on the phone, a lot of people would start still drawing one of those big hand receiver things 
Yeah. Like initially with the wire coming out of it, instead of drawing a mobile phone, as you know, a lot of people would still do that because it's not built into their brain yet. And that's so, and it's like that with bicycles, you know, everybody starts drawing one of those old styly bikes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what's imprinted instead of more, the more modern bike with the, yeah. Maybe the shocks and the this the more curved carbon alloy frame or what have you, you know, and it just it's a different beast, isn't it? And a car yeah. again, you draw like a more bumpy thing because that's kind of what's in your head is that visual of a car. Whereas cars are much more sort of organic looking these days, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing what is right, I mean, my my wife and my my family still give me shit because I still draw people in clothes that look like they're from the 1990s <laughs> because that's when I was into fashion you know because I was a like a beastie boy and and yeah. you know and wore those sorts of clothes and was into fashion and thought about fashion back then and now I'm a 53 year old man and I think not a jot about fashion so you know which is a fault is a terrible terrible fault in my and in, in, in that you should always know what is contemporary yeah uh, especially if you're drawing a contemporary set if you're drawing a strip set in the 90s then bam go right ahead but if you're drawing a strip set now and everybody looks a bit like 90s then you've kind of fucked up and uh you know and i my, <laughs> i get that pointed out to me in no uncertain terms from now, now and then it's like it's like when i i was a kid and um, reading the X-Men, you know, and John Byrne was drawing it. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Except that Byrne kept drawing people in giant flares and strides. <laughs> giant flares. If you look at, like, X-Men, you know the one with Arcade? Where, yes. Where, <laughs> yeah. And Cyclops and Jean Grey are walking down the street, and the big garbage truck comes up and grabs them both before they can react. And they're walking down the street, and they go, these are fucking strides i mean just they must there must be like a couple of yacht sails of material in those trousers and i remember reading going this is great but why can't burn draw proper trousers (laughs) (laughs) what the hell are those things and that's the kind of thing where you go it takes you out of the moment as a reader you know it's uh I mean, that's Byrne. Byrne was a, you know, a 60s kid, you know, when he was, he was, when he was looking at fashion, big fucking strides was a thing. And, you know, everybody was putting big triangles into the, into their trousers to make them flare as much as possible. But my God, Cyclops looked so naff. Yeah. You know. I, I sort of went off on one there, didn't I? No, Sorry not at all. No, that's, that's, that's the beauty of this. We, you know, we have a broad theme, but. I just sure. love it when people talk and, and you know, yeah. it goes wherever it goes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I, d- I did want to ask you about as well was that um, obviously you, you were part of um, the Create the Break sure. uh, development course, weren't you? you know, which I believe you set up. Um... Uh, well, that was the most recent one. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that was a, yes, it, within the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Previous to that, I had run a comic course. Um, with Hunt Emerson, um, a, which lasted for about six or seven years. And that was done with a group called Hiatus in Birmingham, uh, where I'm from. And uh, that was reasonably successful and produced a, a number of people who are professional comic artists to this day. Yeah. Uh, guys like guys like Keith Burns was on our course, Rachel mm-hmm. Stott and yeah. Laura Heil. 
um, to name a few. Obviously, it's all down to my great teaching skills. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Uh, I might have been able to guide them, but the Create the Break course was, uh, and, and the previous course, were less about drawing because the people that we did take onto the course were pretty pretty good we weren't looking mm. for complete amateurs because what we were dealing with was more a sort of how to break into the industry approach right. to things right because and it's like anything you go to art college uh, or university or what have you and they teach you well maybe they teach you how to draw i don't know no uh, they certainly <laughs> teach anything <laughs> i went to art college the only thing i learned in art college was i shouldn't have gone to art college but the yeah. only thing H laugh about this and funny enough I had the same conversation with Ryan Brown the other night that the best bit of it was life drawing because it was the only place you could do life drawing but yeah yeah. we weren't taught colour theory we weren't taught anything you know we 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 did colour wheel but we didn't we weren't taught how to use it you know and all these kinds of things so no but the most important thing you weren't taught was like how to get a bloody job at the other end of it absolutely yeah you know there's none of that and that's what this course was about because I just would talk to people and they would go, I have no idea how to go about getting into comics. Even people who were at comic shows, they still really didn't know. They were, And I would always say, well, you're at a comic show, that's a good bloody start. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be, I suppose, from the outside looking in, a very sort of daunting thing. Like most industries, you're on the outside of it and you sort of go, well, how the hell do I get in? It's like... Yeah. I, I look at storyboarding for movies and I sort of go, well, how would I get into that yeah. as a, you know, even from now at this point in my career? And I suppose I could sort of say to somebody like Jock, a uh, hey, Jock, he's a job or, you know, somebody I could show my portfolio to um, and that might help. But I re- it's, it would require sitting back and scratching my head and trying to figure it yeah. out. And that's the same with and, and art colleges don't give you any grinding on on how to actually learn a living you know they just ostensibly uh, set you up with skills that you're meant to then go out and somehow mysteriously find a job with yeah but yeah they don't t- give you any skills in actually finding a f- that fecking job so what our that the course was about was showing people how the industry worked who would be your contacts and who you would go and uh, talk to, how you would present your work, all those Mm. sorts of really nuts and bolts sort of stuff that you would need or do need and to break into the industry. And that, that was what the course was about. There was of course, technique and stuff like that. We had Dave Gibbons and Mark Farmer and guys like that coming into the course and showing their work, but they also talked about, you know, their approaches and how they broke into the industry as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's what that course was about. I mean, what was the driver for you to do that, John? Was it that you wanted to just kind of ensure that people had the opportunity to to break well, into the business, or was it just to uh, keep comic alive? You know, well, there's well, there's a bit of there's a bit of both. I mean, I, I I couldn't possibly sit back and say, well, now that I've done a couple of create the break courses, obviously the only reason the comics medium is still staggering <laughs> is because of me. But no, it's more sort of that. You know, comics has been pretty good to me over the years. And it's such, it's the classic thing as to why anybody does that sort of thing when they're in an industry and they do these sorts of things, you know, be it a filmmaker teaching classes and how to, you know, direct a film. It's He does it because he believes that he's got something to give back 
and wants to do so because it's good for the medium to have new blood yeah. and new people coming up and into the medium. It keeps it fresh and alive. And, it, and, and it, you know, I, I learn as much from the people who come through the course as they do from me, you know, and, and certainly uh, the ones that break into the industry because I'm friends with them. Yeah. I'm looking at the industry from a different angle and it's good for me as well as hopefully it being good for them. So, you know, there's a bit of uh, me being a um, decent <laughs> human being maybe yeah. Uh, yeah. in wanting people to succeed. And it's, there's nothing more satisfying than seeing somebody that you've taught going on and succeeding in the industry that you taught them in. It, it's yeah. an incredibly satisfying feeling um, and makes you very proud and you feel good about yourself that you've done it um yeah so you know there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, i'm doing it because i'm a good spud and also i'm doing it because well it looks good for me. It, it makes me feel good as well yeah. you know it's so, credit to you it's credit to you i don't know about that it's it's uh, you know i also got some art council funding so you know i got to pay myself a wage yeah, but you still have to do the work. <laughs> not, That's a, not a complete fact. Not it? a complete sort of saint or anything. I, did you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> was, well, I wish, was, you know, I wish back in time there'd been something like that available when I was younger to, to give well, me, you know, clear direction on, on what to do. Because, you know, if you wanted to do illustration or comics when I was in art college, they, they, you're lucky they didn't burn you at the stake. You know, they just saw it as like the, a medium not even worth bothering with. Sure. Um so it would have been, you know, I mean, when I read about it a couple of years ago, um, again, and I thought, oh, you know, I wish I could have done that, something like that, yeah. you know, <laughs> just to, yeah. just to learn. I'm hoping that at some point I'll have the time and the, you know, and I mean, because obviously COVID's come along and so mm. <laughs> any classes are pretty oh. much screwed. So that's that. Um, but, and we were hoping to do another uh, course but we'll see we'll see how yeah. things roll but yeah that that's exactly right i mean i look at it and i go if i had had this when i was a kid mm-hmm. you know pay, trying to break in i it, maybe it wouldn't have taken me four or five years to do it maybe i could have fast tracked that a bit um and so it's it's nice to think that maybe you're helping somebody get to that point where they're you know earning a living out of drawing yeah. comics and yeah. and not being stuck in a job that they don't want to be stuck in or what have you they're, they're doing something that makes them feel good about themselves and they're earning a living doing that that's a great feeling that you know you've helped with that yeah so that that i guess that's really the the sort of credit to you mate. Yeah. So and, but as you much as you say that damien i couldn't have done it without my wife who and yeah. uh, and lizzie jordan who were the two people who did all the sort of ground work i mean i'm just mm. a pretty pretty face and the at the front sort of going hey draw comics like this kids <laughs> they're the ones sort of getting the arts council funding organizing the sort of course structure and things like that with me um so you know uh, it, it as with anything uh, when you scratch beneath the surface, there's a group of people helping and yes. sort of, uh, I mean, there's, I am no, no sort of, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just an average sort of person. Uh, when it comes to doing something like trying to fund a course or organize a course, 
I need a lot of fucking help. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so yeah, Lizzie and Rachel were uh, brilliant and sorted it all that out. So fair play to them. Yeah. You know. I know. Um, I know. Um, all that kind of course um, design stuff because H is a qualified teacher as well. So mm-hmm. you know, she used to run a community art class for four years, where she just right. every Saturday morning she'd, she'd run this art class, and it was for the local community with four people. And she ended up when she finished it after four years. Um, I think she had about 35 people that turned up every week and right. she used to spend all week prepping the, the lesson plans and getting everything ready sure. you know, for this three hour course on the Saturday. For, and it was all free, you know, obviously she just did it like yourself. Yeah. It was because she wanted to, to do something nice for other people. Yeah. And um, yeah. there's a hell of a lot of work involved that people never see. You know, a hell of a lot. Of course, all that, all that prep mm. work is, I mean, it's like any teaching thing. You know, everybody goes, well, teachers, they get it easy, don't they? All oh, the right. show up and then they go, all those big holidays. It's like, <laughs> fucking hell. It's nothing harder than being a teacher. That is yeah. one of the hardest jobs. Maybe working in a restaurant. I don't know. In a restaurant, that's bloody hard. Yeah. All that prep work as well. But, you know, being a teacher is maddeningly hard work. I mean, and for me, my role that i had was quite made quite easy by the hard work that lizzie yeah, and rachel absolutely. did um yeah. and lizzie still runs art courses as well uh to this day she well no no i forgot covid but it was up until covid yeah, yeah. <laughs> was running a local community uh arts courses for you know kids and and, yeah. and young adults and things and uh yeah i mean for, she's a she's a trooper as lizzie yeah so brilliant brilliant stuff okay so if we look to the future then and and as we mentioned before you're just about to um launch a a kickstarter campaign for the brilliantly titled and i've got to say i love the logo (laughs) the mighty world of mccray do you want to tell us a bit about what we can expect basically because i for one am super excited i've got to admit well it it, you know the honest the truth behind this kickstarter is that my mate Lee Bradley was round at my house about a year or two, a year, year and a half ago, maybe. And we were just shooting the shit. And Lee is an ideas man. He's it just ideas fall out of him. And he was talking about stuff you could do. And he said to me, you should do a book called The Mighty World of McRae. You should, uh, <laughs> it just, you should just do a book called The Mighty World of McRae and make it like an annual. And... Really? reprint some of your old stuff in it and put some new stuff in and i went that's a bloody brilliant idea when will i ever get round to that then i was and at the time i was working away on dead eyes for image mm. and then we had a problem with dead eyes of which i cannot speak no no um, no and uh and so we had a problem and that problem still remains oh. to this very day uh to a degree and then covid came along so I had this double whammy that oh. has set me on my back heel. Mm. And uh, I was looking at the industry and looking at my career. And I just went, it's time for the mighty world of McRae, I think. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's uh, things are, it's looking a bit tough. So, mm. uh, and I'd always been told that Kickstarters were hard work. And I'm about as intelligent with computers as a dung beetle so i'd always sort of stayed well away from any of these things but as i said with the with the uh arts course you get a team around you and uh, that's what i've done in here uh, i've got rachel doing the, the finance stuff i brought ryan using 
to do the design work. And, uh, you know, Ryan is the, one of the top guys in the industry. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I've worked with him on a number of occasions over the years. Uh, he designed Troubled Souls and for a few Troubles more uh, to my to, to the graphic novels of those, uh, my first two graphic novels. So I've known Ryan for that long and he's a great fella. And he is as if you want design work done in your book and uh, you can afford Ryan, <laughs> then get him. Um, so... So, yes, yeah, so I've got Ryan in doing that, and I've got Kat Hemmings, uh, who's my campaign manager. And they, again, this is one of those uh, th- uh, little things is that Kat was on my uh, on my course, my comic course. And uh, what she does for a job is she's a social media sort of expert, but she's also a great little uh, comic artist as well. And she's run, well, she's in the middle of running her second successful Kickstarter how to be a cosplayer. The yeah. one was being Ginger, yeah. and then uh, she's doing how to be a cosplayer. And she's my campaign manager on Kickstarter. And without her, <laughs> there would be no Kickstarter. I can quite frankly tell you yeah. that. So she's she's awesome, and uh, she she and Rachel and Ryan are sort of getting me through the whole thing with a lot of help from other people around me. Uh, who have asked for advice um, and it's uh, yeah it seems to be going okay we're on the soft launch at the moment um, but the Kickstarter itself is a collection of the last 32 years of my creator-owned work right. and I've done a lot of work for hire stuff you know I've worked for Marvel and DC yeah. Fleetway Rebellion etc uh, etc et Dark Horse and um, but during that time, while that has all been going on, I've also been working on creator own stuff. Uh, all the work I did in Deadline is mine and various other things, plus some of the image stuff. But uh, I did a comic called The Atheist for image back before it really was the image we know now. Yeah. Um, and I did that with Phil Hester. And uh, that's being reprinted in this book. Um, it's a great story. Um, one of Phil's best bits of writing, I think. And uh, so that's going into this book. But it's not just one book, because I, when I started it, I thought, like Lee said, you could do a Christmas annual and do, do it every year. And uh, when I started, it, I thought, well, maybe I can get one, maybe two books. And it turns out I've got enough product for <laughs> at least four books. Wow. Um, uh, so it's going to run for four volumes um, and it has new stuff in it as well. Yeah. It's going to have because what the, what the idea behind it is when we, Lee said the mighty world of McRae, all I could think about was at Christmas getting those annuals that you used to get. Yeah. The yeah. Annuals. And, you know, they weren't just reprints of comic stories. There were articles and puzzle pages and features and things and prose stories illustrated prose stories and that's yeah. exactly what i'm doing with this it's oh, going to have puzzle pages and, and i'm having an absolute laugh coming up with puzzle pages that connect <laughs> to my creator-owned work uh, it just it's a it's a laugh right and i'm chuckling away as i'm doing these things um so we've got puzzle pages there's going to be a de- an all-new dead eyes prose story 
that Jerry's writing. And then I'm going to do, you know, the old 1950s magazine stories where yeah. the artist would draw the pictures that kind of wrapped around yeah. the text. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the vibe we're going for with that. Oh, uh, uh, and there's going to be a brand new story by Jerry and myself, like a comic story as well, but a, a new IP entirely that's launching in the first volume. So we've got, as well as reprinting The Atheist and various, and, and have Carl Allison appearing in it from Deadline. Um, I've got a dinosaur story written by Nicobadzis from Deadline as well, who did Hugo Tate and and Laika, the, the story about the first dog in space, the Russian dog in space. Nick's an amazing writer, and he and I teamed up and did this dinosaur story ages ago and i i can't quite re- oh it was i think it was at reprinted in epic one of the little epic books that yeah. they put out so it's called dinosaurs rule and it's a very cartoony cavemen meet dinosaurs story um so lots of fun stuff and serious stuff and just a big mix of my work from over the years uh Plus the articles, like I said, there's an article in this first one about Dark Horizons, my comic shop, and its ties to the Belfast punk scene, obviously through Terry Hooley and Good Vibrations. And then in the second volume, we'll probably, I think I'm going to be doing a story about the early days of comic conventioning, uh, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of great stories to talk about i'm sure you from, do <laughs> and so yes yes so i'm going to delve into that a little bit and uh, reminisce on that and the idea is with the articles is to kind of work my way through my time span i suppose so i'm starting with the old comic shop yeah and moving on to comic conventions I haven't quite figured out three and four the sort of exact um exact sort of angle i'm going to take on those mm. articles but you know there's plenty of stuff that can be <laughs> can can be churned through uh so that is the kickstarter in a nutshell um it, it's going to be a lot of fun I, i'm really having a great time putting it together even though it is hugely tiring and hard work yeah, um yeah. it is actually very satisfying and, and quite interesting going back and digging out all my old work and you know rescanning it and i've done a little bit of tidy up on a few things but i'm not going george lucas on your ass or anything i'm not i'm not going to start making hand shoot second or any of that i'm going to ruin it then (laughs) well i hope not i mean yeah exactly because that people always said to me you know uh when i when i they do something and they come back to it and they say well you know i probably should redraw that bit and i say never redraw It, it was of its time and you did it and you should accept that it's it is that way and just deal with it um and for the most part that's what i'm doing with this obviously there's been a couple of places where i've gone oh no those trousers could do with being tucked in a little bit i don't want to be john byrne here and uh, i've sort of narrowed the strides a bit or what have you (laughs) so so but for the most part it's it's the uh, as it was so that's the that's the Kickstarter. Yeah. So if anybody wants to check it out, I guess you can track me down the mighty world of McRae on Kickstarter. We have soft launched so you can sign up to be notified yep. about things. And um, uh, and I think our launch date is sometime early August. Right. So it's not far away. Well, 
it sounds brilliant as well and it's not what i was expecting at all um because i must admit you know I, I thought it would have been a collection of of just maybe some of your your lesser seen stuff or things that maybe never got printed but i didn't anticipate you'd be making it so much fun by turning it into a really old-fashioned annual yeah. you know it's i make mean, it an annual christmas and the idea is of course that the kickstarter's in august uh it goes to print in september we post it out in november and you have it for christmas oh christmas it's annual. Be brilliant yeah, after, that's, after yeah. a shitty year like this year it's gonna be something to look forward to well yeah <laughs> i you know christ if mighty world of mccray is the only thing you've got to look forward to <laughs> then that has been a pretty bloody bad year i've got to say you know, no, <laughs> please god and i hope there's some other stuff that's good too <laughs> dear god so it's great so i mean uh, for those people that um you know aren't sure where to go so i'll put the uh, the links to the kickstarter in the show notes um, thank you very much. so that you can easily find it i've signed up so i'm already waiting and chomping at the bit um it, it's going to be brilliant and have you been have you been spending ages working out what your reward tiers are going to be or are you just going to keep oh it pretty God. straightforward well i mean the tiers that we have tiers yes and it's the it's balancing the oh my god wouldn't that be cool with the jesus how much work is that going to be exactly and how much is yeah. it going to cost me um so and you've got to you know it's the idea of postage and oh yeah the and the manners of yeah filling envelopes with or you know the more bits uh i've talked to people about kickstarters and the more bits you have to put into an envelope just um, you know i do commissions and it's quite frankly the worst bit of the commission is when you get the end you have to package it up to send it (laughs) So imagine that times a thousand or whatever that I can dream, <laughs> dare to dream. But you know that's the thing. Then yeah. you you ace it. Say you ace it. You yeah. know you've got to stuff <laughs> a thousand envelopes, or you know, and uh, that's again another logistical. So so yeah. So anything I, I've I've tried to give us give some nice tears. Um, and there are some stretch goals as well, but I'm sweating right. bullets over the stretch goals. Um, <laughs> so there's stretch goals, and and but there are some nice tears. Uh, there's 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 a couple of good ones that I think when you understand that it's a Christmas annual, when you see the t- yep. the, the the tear, you'll you'll smile. Um, so uh, really? yeah, it, it's it's I've tried to make it as much fun as possible. And to recreate some of that excitement that I had when I was a kid and getting an annual for Christmas. I know all the presents that I ever got as a kid, all the ones I remember are the annuals and bring on the bad guys. I got a copy of bring on the bad guys and it was fucking brilliant. And the Christmas annuals, Mighty World of Marvel, you know, six million dollar man annual, any of those sorts of things. Oh God, I love those things. And I've still you know, got and, boxes upstairs of the old annuals from, from yeah, you know, yeah, all, the two thousand annuals. Oh, later. oh that, yeah, it's a bit, you know, and that that was it was there was nothing like it. But it was because no. it was more than just comics. There were the, the the puzzles and the articles and the features and the crazy bits. And so yeah, I've tried to recreate that vibe with it. So that's a uh, that's Brilliant. that's what I'm for absolutely oh. sounds superb it's just it sounds unique as well it's not like anything that 
I see. Yeah, I, I can't think of it myself, you know, no. not of these days. And, and, you know, when Lee suggested it to me, God bless his socks, you know, <laughs> it, it was, it, there was a big sort of cascade effect of ideas of what could happen with this. And uh, it's ended up as what it is now. Um, and I think it, it would, it should be really good fun. Uh, yeah. And if we, and if we do are, are successful, then we'll go forward and do volume two, volume three, volume four. Um, uh, and, you know, I, that's what people tell me that it's easier. The first Kickstarter is the hardest, you know, it, going forward, it'll be a bit easier as well uh, to produce them. Um, now that we've got this, this sort of format figured out. I'm but sure it, it'd be a huge it's, success, John. Well, thank you. And but th- this is the thing as well in this brave new world that we have entered. Um, everything is slightly different. And so Kickstarter for me is looking more and more like it may well be the new normal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry and I are talking about our, you know, a project, the project that we're launching in this first volume, taking it forward um, after the Mighty World of McRae Volume 1 comes out, then Jerry and I have to look at how we get this out to people. And um, I'm I'm just looking at Kickstarter and going, well, this seems to be the way. I mean, it's not ideal because obviously in a perfect world, I want to support the comic shops. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I want, I don't want, I want to put business into the comic shops hands as much as, I want to put business into my hands because this is all a big one big sort of living entity, isn't it? The yeah. industry, it, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to get all sort of cycle of circle of life crappy, but thing, but you know, that's, that's what we're dealing with. And so you, know, you don't want the comic shops to fail, but at the same time, it's a struggle at the moment for a lot mm. of creators to get product into shops. And so at the moment, uh, kickstarters is really seems to be my viable option for mm. so that's what i'm that's what i'm looking at yeah and it's got an incredible reach as well kickstarter i mean you it, know, has, it, it, it has it, it's interesting though i always look at it and i sort of go uh even the most successful kickstarters i'm always surprised by how few backers there are mm. you know, i mean i'm sort of looking at sean gordon murphy's plot holes uh kickstarter no well it's an indiegogo one but you know and he's earned he's made a bazillion quid and then but it's only 1900 backers and you go god only that's so that's just 2000 people i mean when you think about how much your average comic sells or how a copy of x-men sells and you just go woof there's a you know that's that's it's interesting Mm. yeah the logistics mm. and the finances and the and the sort of the way the money is divvied up, uh, you you do sort of step back and sort of think a bit harder about how how the the industry works and how you fit into it. So mm. anyway, that's that's my uh, thoughtful bit for the moment. Um, no. I'll, uh, I'll go back to telling fart jokes. <laughs> no, it sounds fantastic, and I'm sure there's lots of people listening to this will be. Uh, you know, hoping they get one thing under the tree for Christmas, and that will well, be there the uh, mighty I'm, world of McRae. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely one of them. <laughs> Thank you, Damien. That is, you're you're an absolute star. Just on that, then, John. Do you want to um, 
let people know where they can find out about the rest of your your kind of work then your your websites and where they can purchase sure. kind of, you still have some original artwork up for sale and, and stuff like that yes i i guess my website is uh john john uk. it used to be john and then somebody stole that out from under me and was pretending to be me really <laughs> yeah oh sure for a while oh, um okay. uh which wasn't great but so my website is now .co.uk, johnmcrae.co.uk, and I have a big cartel store attached to that, which through which yeah. I sell pages and artwork and uh, comics and prints. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is McCrayman on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm McCrayman1. Um, I'm pretty busy on Twitter. I'm not such I'm a bit of a failure on Instagram, but I do try and I should try harder. And uh, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, and just John McRae. I, I don't really know how the Facebook handle works. You know, you just type no. in John McRae and you find the person. Um, it doesn't it doesn't quite work the same way as Twitter and Instagram. So, uh, yeah, but I, I'm on Facebook, too. So I, I recently went through my followers list and discovered that tons and tons of people had left Facebook. There'd been been a bit of an exodus, hasn't there? And for for understandable reasons, because yeah. Facebook as a corporation is mm. absolute scum. But yeah. there you go. Uh you know, but then hey, you know, Twitter probably are too. I mean Jesus. They yeah, I know. Dodge a, stuff. It's a murky world all that sort it of really is. stuff in it. It it's, really is. It's, yeah. I'm sure there's a there's a fantastic story in there somewhere. People yeah, probably think it's too far fetched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, those are my those are my social media haunts for Excellent. sure. Is the Twitter and Instagram. And it's worth following John on um, on Twitter and and Instagram things like that just to see his works in progress when he is doing some of his commissions and things because um, they're brilliant. I mean, you do you post them at different stages, and yeah, it's, um, it's, I love it's seeing a work in progress. Oh. Yeah, it's much more interesting than just seeing the commission. Yeah, I always like to. I mean, I find it fascinating when other artists do it. So I would, I do want to do that myself. And there's a certain amount of process thought there uh, you can glean from it. And if people engage with me on on it on and ask questions, I'm willing to answer as well. I mean, most of the time people are generally saying, oh, that looks wicked or what have you. And I just go, thanks very much. Uh, but when people do ask, you know, what pens you're using yes. or what what process are you using to do this or that? I will uh, talk about it because that's interesting, too. Yeah, the whole process of things is 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 quite enjoyable and putting your stuff up in bits is interesting when you flip back through your timeline and just watch the progression of it as well, just from a purely technical point of view for myself. It's quite mm. interesting. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Excellent stuff. And uh, if you want to find out more about me, then, you know, art92.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and it's all Art92. And we can't, I say this, John, every week because um, you get to our age and it's hard enough to remember to put your pants on their minds, you know, have different handles for different social media platforms. So we keep it all oh, consistent. Very wise. Very wise. Um, I would have done the same, but people kept stealing my name. I know. Uh, well, yeah. nobody wants to steal our name, so we're okay. <laughs> and uh, remember, if you've enjoyed this show and you want to check out other episodes, then uh, we're available on 
Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and don't forget to subscribe so you you know wherever you get your podcasts from, and you, know, you can join us again next week. We'll have another Art of series. So I'd just like to thank the mighty John McRae once again for giving <laughs> up his time. And it's my pleasure, Damien. I make no apologies for being a complete fanboy. I absolutely adore your work, sir, and I think you know you've always had time. For, for H and, and myself when we've spoken to you at conventions and things sure. and um, you know you're always generous to a fault and I, I really genuinely appreciate you being on the show and, okay. uh, well it's been a pleasure Damien thank well thank you, you. thank and, you uh, and, uh, sorry uh, I waffled on too long I love it when people you know go off on a tangent um, it's always interesting stuff so to paraphrase the hitman himself Tommy Monaghan see you next time for the rest of the Titanic team up Thanks for listening. <laughs> All the best, Damien. Bye. Cheers, John. <laughs>